grew up in a very small town in Ohio. I was the youngest of three boys. A lot of good memories growing up. I grew up in a house, though, that uh, my dad was not a Christian. My mom was a Christian, and I can remember being a, probably a four times a year attender, but uh, probably the biggest thing that I remember is, is not what my dad said, but it was all the things that he didn't say. I was always one of the best athletes in a small school. And with that comes pride and arrogance. And I didn't have a, a spiritual role model to help me understand that that's truly not the life that God created you for. I had a perspective of who of God, not necessarily who he was, but I, I did have a perspective and understanding that there was a creator, but it was, I didn't know Jesus Christ. Graduating college and getting my first job, very much of a fast track, right? So within the first year, promoted. So all that did was build more arrogance and more pride and more self-centeredness. And so I carried all those things into our marriage. And I would say the first four years of our marriage were, were extremely difficult. I, I never learned a, a, a healthy respect for women. And that carried obviously into relationships in high school, into college, but it also carried into my marriage. I began to figure out that I had everything the world told me I needed, but it just seemed like I continued to want more, but there was just this hole. Something was missing in the heart, and the, the things that my dad taught me about hard work, all those things have paid off. Why do I feel so empty? About that time, I think I was really married to my job first. And you can justify that because I can justify it by making a good living, providing for your family. We'd had struggles in our marriage before and that, that had been mentioned before, but this time I could sense that something was different. I just completely missed what she, I, I didn't have time to hear or see her emptiness. She came to me and said she didn't want to be married anymore. And for me, that was, that's, that's when it hit me. Then I had a choice to make. But there was just something inside of me that, that said, I, you're, you're worth fighting for. I really started to understand that my life had been all about my needs. The root of my problem certainly wasn't anybody else, it was me. So we sought, we sought counseling. I, I do remember we were in his office, he pointed to to her and said, you love him. And he pointed to me and said, he loves you. And he looked at me and said, are you ready to give your life to Jesus Christ? That's what you're missing. I didn't know what I was missing. I knew I was missing something, but I had no idea what it was. And uh, it's really where my story of transformation started. Coming up out of the baptismal, a sense of peace that I'd never experienced before in my life. A sense that it was... A sense it was no longer about me. That the love that I never experienced from my dad, because the love of God can only be experienced when you accept and receive it, 
and there and, and you can't love someone else with selfless sacrificial unconditional love unless you've received it from the father and it didn't take me more than probably a month to realize that i still have the old self and i have to die to that old self every day because i still had things that that define who i was up until that point it's given me a chance to forgive my dad though i had to make a decision you know either blame my dad and other people for my life experience or to embrace it and change the legacy um, and make sure that I pass down a legacy of faith, not a legacy of worldly success. You just see the transformation that God's made. I still don't believe it a lot of days. So I don't know what God has in store, but uh, I do know through this journey that it's, it's, there's been so many blessings along the way that uh, it can only be from God. Good morning, church. My name is Luke. I'm the associate preaching minister here at PCC. We're glad you're here today. You know, I, I love hearing stories like Reggie's because really, that could be any one of us. Well, what the church is, is we are a community of broken people who are on this journey of continually being made whole in Jesus Christ. Our mission as a church is loving all people to new life in Christ. And we believe that Jesus brings you to new life and that every day as you follow him, he makes you new a little bit more every single day. That's Reggie's story, that's my story, and I hope that's your story too. If you're a guest with us this morning, we're really honored that you join us. We love having visitors. We'd love to meet you and connect with you. So just thanks for joining us. Thanks for coming to spend an hour of your morning with us together in worship. You know, sometimes in life, you receive news that's so big that you know from then on out, life will never be the same. Sometimes you hear those words and the news is so big, so earth shattering that you know your life will be changed forever. When you hear those words, I'm pregnant. <laughs> It's cancer. I do. I'm leaving. You're hired. We're letting you go. I'm, I'm sorry, we, we couldn't find a heartbeat. Sometimes in life we receive news that's so big that we know life will never be the same. Heard a story of two old friends, Earl and Leon. They grew up together. They loved the game of baseball. And so they made a deal between the two of them that when one of them died, he had to find a way to come back and tell the other one whether or not there's going to be baseball in heaven. Of course there is. So eventually, you know, the years go by. Leon passes away. And a few days after the funeral, Earl's laying there in bed when he hears a voice. He says, uh, Leon, is that you? Yeah, Earl, it's me. Well, Leon, Leon, this is amazing. Listen up, Earl. I got good news for you, and I got bad news for you. All right, Leon, well, what's, what's the good news? Well, Earl, the good news is there is baseball in heaven. Well, that's, that's great, Leon. Glad to hear it. Now, well, what's the bad news? Well, Earl, bad news is you're pitching on Tuesday. <laughs> Sometimes in life, we hear news that's so big, it changes everything. And today, I have some news to share with you. Big news. So big, in fact, that it will demand a response from you. Because I believe that today is a crisis moment. I believe that today is a fork in the road. Because when you hear this news, there is no going back. 
So why are we all here today on Easter Sunday? Let's just ask the question, why are we here? Well, it's quite simple, really. We are here because of the gospel. Gospel, that's a word we talk about a lot in church, but we don't often define what it actually is. So what is the gospel? Well, the word gospel simply means good news. So we have heard the good news and we are responding to it. That's why we are here today. Well, what, what is this good news? What is the gospel? Great question. I'm glad you asked. The good news is simply this. The gospel is that in Jesus, God is bringing the world back to life. In Jesus, God is bringing the world back to life. And this gospel, this good news, is actually kind of a story. You see, in in the beginning, God made the world and he made it good. Everything was perfect, but it didn't take very long before we messed the world up and we broke our lives and the lives of those around us. But thankfully, God didn't leave us lost in our sin. God promised that he would fix things. He would make things right again. And so God established this group of people, this little group of people, this kingdom, where little by little and person by person, wrong would be made right and death would be turned to life and heaven would come to earth. And so God sent his own son named Jesus here to earth to show us how to live in this kingdom. And Jesus, while he was on earth, he he lived the perfect life, the life that we could not live. Jesus, he was the only person in history who did not deserve to die. And yet he willingly died a horrendous death so that we would not have to. But of course, we're here today because he did not stay dead. He came back to life and he is alive today and he is now offering us the chance to follow him. Jesus is offering us the chance to live in his kingdom where we know that we are loved no matter what. We are forgiven of our past. We are empowered for our future, our present, and we are assured of our future. That's the gospel. This is the good news story. And it all hinges on one event, the resurrection of Jesus. So why are we here? We are here because 2,000 years ago, a man died. And he lay dead in his tomb for three days. But on that third day, he emerged alive from the tomb, and he is alive today. That's why we're here. That's the gospel, the good news. Jesus is alive. And so the key question of Christianity and one of the key questions of your entire life is this, did Jesus rise from the dead? Because it either happened or it didn't. It's either objectively true as a historical reality or it is false. It's not like it's true for me, but not true for you. It either is true or it's false. It happened or it didn't. And so you have to decide what you believe. And if this did not happen, if this is false, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then that has huge ramifications. Because if Jesus did not rise from the dead, and he was not some kind of nice spiritual teacher or good example for us to follow, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, he was at best a mentally unstable motivational speaker. And at worst, he was a liar who intentionally misled millions of people. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching's useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we've testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. 
And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who've fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, then we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, you're wasting your time here today. You might as well go ahead, get up, walk out, and go to lunch and beat the crowd. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then we're idiots for devoting our lives to a very silly fairy tale. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then there is no church. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then there is no Christianity. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then we are still stuck and dead in our sin. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then we have no hope of seeing again those who have died believing in him. If this news, if this gospel is not true, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then the world is very likely hopeless. But if this is true, if Jesus did rise from the dead, then that changes everything. Because if Jesus did rise from the dead, then that means you need to reorient your life around everything written in this book. If Jesus did rise from the dead, then that means he is who he says he is. And he says in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if Jesus did rise from the dead, then that's true. He is the way, not just a good way or one way, but the only way. He is the truth, the only truth, meaning that all other ways are not the truth. And he is the life, the only way to true life, the only way to fulfilling forever life, both in this life and in the life to come. And if that's true, if this good news, this gospel that Jesus did in fact rise from the dead is true, then this is a crisis moment for you. There is no going back. This is a fork in the road. This demands a response. If Jesus is not alive, nothing matters. But if Jesus is alive, nothing else matters. So how will you respond to the gospel? That's the question I want to ask today. How will you respond to this good news? I want to take a look real quick this morning at four potential responses to this good news, this gospel. The first potential response is to deny it. Because oftentimes when we hear something incredible, our natural reaction is denial, right? Because if something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. I don't know if you know this, but you're actually looking at the luckiest guy on the face of the planet right here. Yeah, it's me. It's true. I, I've never actually gone on the Ancestry.com thing or researched my genealogy very much, but according to an email I got, I'm actually the beneficiary of a Nigerian prince. <laughs> true story, true story. He has a multi-million dollar fortune, and he chose me to receive it. And all I have to do is respond to that email with my bank account information, my name, and my PIN number, and the money's all mine. <laughs> So I'm going to retire early. I'll see you guys later. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody ever get those scam emails, those scam phone calls? Am I the only one? I hope you didn't respond to it or say yes. If you did, we would really love to help you through that. All you need to do is give me your social security number, your credit card information, and we'll get it worked out. Maybe today when you hear about Jesus rising from the dead, you think it sounds something like that. Sounds a little too far-fetched, a little too good to be true. Oh, sure, maybe for some people, some of those naive, gullible people. But you're no dummy. Your mama didn't raise no fool, did she? You know, lately, lately we've been studying the book of Acts in the Bible. It's the story of the early church. 
And one of the main characters in the book of Acts is a guy named Paul. And in his early life, Paul was one of the haters of Christianity. He devoted his life to getting rid of Christians all over because he thought they were fools for believing that this Jesus guy could actually rise from the dead. But then the resurrected living Jesus appeared to Paul and flipped his life around 180 degrees. And so we've seen Paul in the book of Acts go around the whole world proclaiming this gospel, this good news that he'd once been trying to squelch, telling people that Jesus is indeed alive. And well, in Acts chapter 23, he's in Jerusalem, which is the home of the Jewish religion, and the Jews don't really like this message that Paul's preaching. They don't really like him. And so a mob starts to riot, and, and a Roman officer comes and arrests Paul, and Paul's on trial before the Romans and the Jews. They're trying to figure out what exactly he is. So Paul's in court. They're trying to figure out why, what exactly he did wrong, and he says this, Acts chapter 23, verses 6 and 7. Paul says, I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out and the assembly was divided. So Paul just simply mentions the resurrection and the courtroom falls into utter chaos because some people simply can't believe that a resurrection could actually happen. They denied it. That was their first instinct. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're hearing about all this stuff about the dead coming back to life and it sounds more like a bad zombie movie than a historical reality to you. If that's you today, if you deny this story that we're telling, I'm glad you're here, genuinely. And personally, I'd love to meet with you. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to hear your story and hear your perspective. I'd love to help you look through and show you a little bit why I really believe this is true and is a reasonable belief. This gospel's true. And when you hear this good news that Jesus is alive, it demands a response from you. So you can deny it. That's the first way you can respond. Or you can just delay it. Maybe, maybe you're not saying, ah, no way. Maybe today you're just saying, eh, not yet. You see, after he's arrested, Paul kind of bounces around from one trial to another before various Roman and Jewish officials. They're trying to figure out what to do with him. And in Acts chapter 24, Paul's on trial before the Roman governor, Felix. Now, Felix, he was well acquainted with Christianity, but he definitely was not a Christian. In fact, Felix and his wife were pretty much despicable, immoral people. But in Acts chapter 4, Paul's on trial here before big bad governor Felix, and he tells Felix all about the resurrection. And eventually the trial ends and court is adjourned, but they don't release Paul from jail. They keep Paul there in jail. Acts chapter 24, verses 24 and 25 says, Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's ah, enough for now. When I find it convenient, I'll send for you. Well, this goes on for two years. Uh, Paul will talk to Felix when Felix summons him, but Felix hears the good news over and over again, but just keeps putting Paul off. Felix hears the gospel, but he delays because it wasn't convenient for him. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you've heard this good news before, the good news that Jesus loves you and he died for you and he rose again and now he's calling you to follow him. Maybe you've heard this before. Maybe you even think there's some truth there. But you're delaying making a decision about Jesus because it's not convenient. 
It would require altering your lifestyle and rearranging your schedule and changing how you live. Maybe you're thinking right now, oh, this, this is interesting, hmm. but not, not yet, not, not today. Can I encourage you? Please don't put it off. You never know how long you have. None of us are promised tomorrow. When you hear this good news, you have to respond. You can deny it, you can delay it, or you can ignore it. That's the third potential response. You can ignore. Felix was a bad dude, and so Felix eventually gets fired from being the governor, and Rome puts a new governor in place, a guy named Festus. And so Paul's on trial before Festus. But Festus is just a Roman governor. He doesn't really feel well-equipped to judge in religious matters like this. So Festus recruits the help of a Jewish king named Agrippa. Don't you love these names? Felix, Festus, and Agrippa. I'm glad my mom named me Luke. <laughs> and so Paul's on trial again. This time before Festus, the Roman governor, and Agrippa, the Jewish king. Can you imagine this event, right? Everybody's here. The who's who of the whole area. They're coming out in their sparkling jewelry, the red carpet, the paparazzi. You've got Festus there in the red scarlet robe of Rome. You've got Agrippa in the purple robes of royalty. All the pomp and circumstance you can imagine. And in the middle of all the fuss is one balding, middle-aged Jewish man in chains, Paul. And he's holding all the superstars spellbound as he tells them his story of encountering the risen Jesus as he argues that Jesus is in fact alive. And as Paul talks about the resurrection, all of a sudden, Acts chapter 26 verse 24 says, at this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You're out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning's driving you insane. And to some of you today, maybe all this resurrection talk sounds insane. But catch this, verses 25 through 30. I'm not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it wasn't done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I, I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, <laughs> do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. The king rose and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with them. So Paul here, he says to King Agrippa, actually, this isn't crazy. You know about Jesus. The whole country saw his miracles. The whole city of Jerusalem saw him get crucified and die. You know that nobody could find his body just a few days after his execution. And fine, if you don't believe me, there's hundreds of other witnesses that he appeared to after he rose from the dead. Go talk to some of them. What do you say, king? And Paul was right. He's backed Agrippa into a corner here, and Agrippa knows that what Paul is saying really is reasonable. But instead of agreeing and believing and changing his life, Agrippa just says, Paul, you sly dog, you almost had me. Ah, but do you really think that in just a little bit of time you can make me a Christian? And he walks away. He knows the truth. It's just too uncomfortable for him. And so he ignores it. Maybe that's you today. 
Maybe you know that this good news, this gospel is actually true. Maybe you actually even kind of believe what I'm saying today. But if you actually committed your life to following Jesus, that would mean radical life change, and that's just too uncomfortable. So you're, you're putting it off. You're trying to bury it and stuff it. Just go on with your day. Just make it through the service, and then it's lunchtime. <laughs> if that's you today, please don't ignore this truth. Because someday Jesus will return, and it will be impossible to ignore the reality that he is alive. And when that day comes, you're going to want to be on his side. So why not just join his side today? When you hear the good news, the gospel, that Jesus is alive, you have to respond. You can deny, you can delay, you can ignore, or you can accept. You can accept it. That's the fourth way you can respond. And that's what Paul did. He accepted it. That wasn't an easy choice for Paul, by the way. It meant his life was turned upside down. His life was full of hardship. It meant the world did everything it could to try to stop him. Eventually, Paul, he stays in and out of jail and in legal trouble. Eventually, Paul ends up on trial before Caesar himself, before the emperor Nero, arguing for the resurrection. In fact, the book of Acts ends with Paul in Rome on house arrest, awaiting trial. And even though following Jesus was not easy for Paul, even though he was in and out of jail and all kinds of legal trouble, the book of Acts ends by saying this. This is the last verse in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28, verse 31. Look at what it says about Paul. It says, he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. I love that. The last word here in the book of Acts is without hindrance, unhindered. This series we've been going through the past few months is called Move, because we believe that wherever you are in life, God wants to move you. He wants to move you one step closer to him. And the sermon today is titled, From Death to Life, because God wants to move you from death to life, to unhindered life. You know, all of us came here today for different reasons. Maybe you came this morning because it would mean a lot to somebody who loves you. Maybe you came because a friend invited you. Maybe you've been coming here for quite a while now. Maybe you've been coming just because it's kind of the thing to do. It's just tradition. You just go to church on Easter. I don't actually really care that much about why you're here. I'm just really glad that you're here. And I believe that you're not here by accident. I believe that God has you here on purpose so he could get you to sit still for 20 minutes and hear the greatest news in history. Jesus is alive. That's what it's all about. Because if this really happened, if this resurrection was not just some kind of nice story or subjective spiritual experience, but if Jesus really rose from the dead, then there's nothing that can stop us. All throughout the book of Acts, we've seen Paul. They can arrest Paul. They can beat him up, lock him up, rough him up, but they can't shut him up and they can't stop him. And from that one little Jewish man and that tiny little ragtag band of believers in the Middle East imprisoned and on trial before the kings of the earth and they're arguing that somehow God came to our planet as a man named Jesus, that he lived, that he died, that he came back to life and that he is now ruling the universe. From those little people with that impossible message, the gospel spread and the church grew and now covers the whole earth with the good news that in Jesus, God is bringing the world back to life, unhindered. 
This is our story, church. And there ain't no grave gonna hold this body down. And that's why we're here today, to proclaim this good news. Don't you want that kind of life? That resurrected, unhindered life? The kind of unhindered life where no matter what happens to you, where no matter what comes your way, you know that you are safe, you are loved, you are chosen, you are forgiven, you are empowered, you are a part of a bigger story and a better kingdom. You are unhindered. The kind of life where you get when you follow Jesus, where, where you let God raise your old dead self and resurrect you, where you let God move you from death to life. Because I believe with all of my heart that God can take your distant marriage and your broken relationships. God can take your purposeless rat race existence and your empty pleasures. God can take your ladder climbing workplace futility, the darkness and the shame of your past, the guilt of your regrets, the anxiety about your future. God can take your messy family and your shaky finances and your broken body and your bad behavior. And because Jesus is alive, he can bring you back to life. That's true. It's a historical fact. And I hope you believe that. I hope you base your life on it. But for you today, you see, the resurrection can not only be a historical event. It can also be a profoundly personal event. You see, because Jesus is alive, you can have forgiveness for your past and power for your present and assurance for your future. Because Jesus is alive, you can move from death to life. So how will you respond to the gospel? Let's pray. King Jesus, great and mighty victorious king, I ask that every person in this room today would be able to sing this next song with honesty that we believe you rose from the dead. Bring us to life. In your powerful name, amen.